Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming in to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul here from Connecticut. Hey, Rahul, how's it going? It's going well, my friend. How are you doing? Good, good. It was an exciting game today. Not necessarily the result we wanted, but uh, something we can talk about. Absolutely. I unfortunately missed the game due to family commitments, but... I have seen the result and I have seen some of the plays. So I look forward to bringing it down with you. Yeah, it's not the result we wanted, not the result we predicted. However, I think we did start decently well, but let's go through the starting lineup. We actually had Mendy in goal, Aspilicueta, Christensen and Rudiger as the back three. Callum Hudson-Odoi playing right wing back position. Kante Kovacic in the middle. Ben Chilwell back from the cold again. And in the front three, he's got Hakim Ziyech, another name coming back from the call recently, Mason Mount, who's been brilliant and deserves to continue, and Olivier Giroud. Strong lineup. And even though I was surprised to see some of the names that you mentioned, Chilwell, Ziyech, uh, I was pretty excited to you know, see those guys come back into the lineup and bring their characteristics and potential. Let me run through the Man United lineup as well, and we can dive into what the game looked like. For Man United, David De Gea in goal. They played a back four of Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Victor Lindelof, Harry Maguire, and Luke Shaw. The defensive midfield pairing, two of what the Man United fans call McFred, which for any listener who does not know that is Scott McTominay and Fred. They played three, which was Rashford, Bruno Fernandes, and James, but it was kind of fluid. And then, of course, Mason Greenwood up top getting the nod ahead of Martial and Cavani. Another strong lineup, and I think a little bit forced in the sense that uh, Cavani, Pogba, Mata were all out injured, so he didn't really have many options up top. But again, a strong team. Absolutely. So let me get into the beginning review of it because I had a chance to watch this game and then just comment as you need. But Chelsea started off with a lot of possession right off the gate. And we kind of knew that from the beginning anyway. Mount in the thick of it, trying to find Giroud a couple of times. The front three did look good with Callum playing wingback like we touched on. I think he brings a lot of pace and penetration through those lines. It was something interesting. And I'm going to dive right into this moment here, which was controversy upon controversy, I guess is the best way to put it. There was a loose ball. Scott McTominay and Mason Mount both go for it. This is in about the 14th minute, 13 minutes or so. And McTominay has a decently high foot and clatters into Mason Mount. Now, he does get the ball, but he clatters through. I honestly thought this was going to be a free kick for Chelsea. Maybe I'm biased, but the referee blows free kick from Man United. No problem. We take it. We go forward from there. Rashford steps up. We know how he is with free kicks against Chelsea. Hits one directly at Mendy, and Mendy punches it away, which, in essence, it was an okay save, but maybe he should be sending it out for a corner, chipping around the corner, or maybe even catching it. But anyway, he punches it out. The ball bounces out towards the end of the penalty box. There is a scrap between Callum Hudson-Odoi and Mason Greenwood. The ball bounces up and appears to hit Mason Greenwood in the hand. Nothing happens from it. Chelsea players are appealing for a free kick. The game continues on for a full minute and a half before VAR, our favorite, steps in and asks the referee to review this. Now, here's what happens. The ball bounces out and appears to hit Callum on the fingertips. It doesn't seem like he intentionally touched the ball, 
but there was a lot of controversy around this. And I'm going to talk about a few items, but I want to get your feedback here for a couple of minutes. Yeah, so some good good points and analysis to start the game off. And so I in the McTominay mount thing was was a close call, but I think at the end of the right decision was made because McTominay does get to the ball first and then clatters into mount. So that seemed like the right decision. Uh, Rashford steps up and at that point, you know, us Chelsea fans have our hearts in our mouths because we we throw back to that crazy free kick he hit in the Carabao Cup. Brilliant one, yeah. And in fact, when I was watching um, the game again, the commentator even said, you know, he takes these like Ronaldo does, which is very high praise. Absolutely. Uh, so he steps up, hits it, and I personally don't really blame Mendy for punching it out. You're right, he could have played it more in a safer position, which I think is what you're saying. Uh, but with the ball moving and the way we know Rashford can hit it, I think Mendy just decided to punch it and then deal with the consequences after. Um, and then, yeah, the penalty call, I mean, in live pitchers, looks like Greenwood touches it and there's no need for anything. In fact, like you said, only the Chelsea players are asking for a free kick for the handball. Uh, VAR shows a little bit of a different story. And yes, I do admit it touch, touches a, uh, Hutton Adoy's fingertips, but I don't like he didn't make a play for the ball. You know, his hand is out there. He's putting the hand out, his elbow out to protect himself from uh, getting bumped over by Greenwood. So I personally was okay with the referee's decision. And I know there's a lot of controversy and a lot said, but personally, I think uh, the right decision was made. Honestly, the controversy comes in from VAR, which at this point, I must be honest with you, I'm starting to hate VAR. Now, yes, it's been beneficial to us, specifically in the last game against Atletico Madrid, but I think there's a time and place and there's also probably some level of how quickly things need to be done. So in this particular instance, the referee, in my opinion, had a very, very, very clear view of the incident. The referee seemed to be extremely confident that this was not a handball or at least an intentional handball where he needs to stop play and award a penalty. The game continues. We have a chance on the other side. Now, Man United actually had the opportunity to counterattack. In fact, I'll talk about Luke Shore's comments in a minute. But he said, we had possession. We were continuing towards the half before they blew the whistle a full minute and a half after this incident happens. So now they've got into the referee's ear and said, you need to go look at this, which means we're talking about him going to doubt his decision or, okay, no, go double check it, which is fine. He takes another couple of minutes to go look at it and again decides that this is not a penalty. What a waste of five minutes of time, of intensity, of excitement. It's something that seems to be ruining the game. I mean, VR was brought in to help. And if it's here to help, it needs to be done in a quicker fashion. Now, long story short, everybody looked at it and pundits looked at it on the TV and said, this is the right decision. So I wonder what differs in a VAR video assistant referee's mind as to why they need to have the referee, in this case, Stuart Atwell, go back and look at it again. Now, before we continue, and I want to bring you in on this, after the match, and we'll obviously review the second half in a minute here, Luke Shaw came on TV and so did Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and said that they heard the referee stated to Harry Maguire that if he gives this penalty, it will look bad. This is just adding fuel to the fire and adding the hate that I have for VAR to just go out of control here, my friend. 
calm down, my friend. The penalty <laughs> wasn't given. <laughs> no, but I, I sense your frustration and I, I share your frustration with VAR. Uh, too often it's become, you know, a, a slow process, which you've mentioned. It's become a process where, at least in this season, it's turned into VAR telling the ref you've made a mistake. You need to correct that mistake. Go look at it. But at the end of the day, you have you kind of tend to lean towards what VAR does. So in this case, he didn't do that, and I have to commend him for that because he's stuck with uh, what the original decision was. Now, yeah, maybe he didn't initially see that it was off of Hudson Odoi and thought it was off of Mason Greenwood. But again, if you think about it, it's a soft penalty call. It's not a stone cold penalty that Hudson Odoi swats the ball with his hand. Uh, and then he's saying I didn't touch it. So a soft one for me, and and I see why he, he didn't give it. I mean, he didn't want people talking about it, but here we are still talking about it. Well, he didn't want people talking about it, but if the statements that Luke Shaw and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer are mentioning here, which is if I give the penalty, it will look bad, what message is that sending to us fans? Now, I don't care if you're a Man United fan. I don't care if you're a Chelsea fan. I don't care if you're a neutral. If VAR was brought in to help the game and make sure that decisions are correct, why is the referee then telling another player that this will look bad? If it's a result where it's a penalty or not a penalty, make the call. Telling another player almost like, let me put my arm around him and say, don't be so offended we're doing this so it doesn't cause a ruckus. It's caused a bigger issue now because you don't know who to trust anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And I I don't, I mean, I I know McGuire heard it and Luke Shaw heard it and they've said it, that it happened, but maybe it didn't happen in those exact words. Maybe the referee said something along those lines and, you know, it was was interpreted by McGuire and Luke Shaw as in, if I give this, it makes me and makes a bigger deal out of something that really isn't. And it isn't. I mean, we've played football for years. We've watched football for years. This one isn't your typical handball in the box penalty. So I get that. Now, Solskjaer, on the other hand, tends to point towards external pressures, brings up Frank Lampard, who had started initially the talk of, you know, United getting penalties. Forgets to mention Jurgen Klopp, who also said the same and, in fact, gave a time period between when he joined Liverpool and and when Solskjaer joined Liverpool uh, United, I beg your pardon, uh, but anyway, I personally didn't agree with what Solskjaer did there. He's talking about the Chelsea website. He's talking about ex-managers. Don't rely on penalties then. Do your job, score your goals, and it won't matter what VAR does. Absolutely. And, you know, honestly, I think if a player can come out to cover your point where, I don't want to use the word rumor, but maybe it's a rumor that Shaw and Maguire heard something different or it's a misunderstanding or it's something that was misconstrued, whatever it may be, the referee should come out and talk about it. Here's what I said. This is the incident. It was misunderstood. It's not a blame game anymore. It's having all parties stand up straight and explain what happened in that situation. Way too often, referees go behind closed doors, debate and come out with the, for lack of a better word, a political message that makes themselves look safe and look good. As in, here's the reasons we did this. Here's the reasons we didn't do this. Yep, we move on. And honestly, Raul, after this game, we move on to the next. This will leave our minds. But long story short, Something has to change with VAR, whether it's a time limit, meaning if the video assistant referee cannot make a decision in 30 seconds of the play happening, move on. Or if they make a decision 
and it's not clear and an obvious error, like in this particular case, move on. They seem to be getting very nitty gritty, even with the offsides, if you look at it, we're getting down to like split hairlines now. At that point, if we're really going to do that and we're going to officiate through cameras, get the guy off the field, officiate purely through cameras and make an announcement from the stage saying that's the foul, stop playing. It, it's just getting out of hand. And, and I know I'm getting too deep into my rant here, so I'll take a minute to take a breath and, and hear your feedback. I agree with you. I mean, the rules are there. Uh, at the end of the day, these rules are being imposed by human beings just like yourself and myself, who've obviously received way more training than we have. But we're saying that this training isn't enough. If you want to have people sitting behind a computer watching every play, watching every move, uh, and then have a guy on the field doing the same thing in real time, uh, you're going to have mistakes. You're going to have errors. But at the end of the day, VAR was brought in to reduce these mistakes and errors. And in fact, it hasn't done that, at least in the Premier League. Right. Uh, so my, I agree with you. If it's going to take five, six minutes, then... There's got to be a fix for that. But at the same time, if it's going to take five or six minutes, make the right call. Do you know, one last point before I get too deep into VAR. Someone once said, if VAR takes five or six minutes, which we've seen in, in multiple games, and let's say it's on a goal decision for Chelsea, for example, and it doesn't go Chelsea's way. Typically, the referee then adds five or six minutes to the end of the game for these decisions. And sometimes the opposition team will score in those five or six minutes. So it really depends. You can hinder another game, but that's enough for VAR. Stuart Atwell, if you're listening, be brave, stick to your call next time, and let's not drag this out. But moving on to the last, I would say the best chance of the first half as well, was Callum put in a lovely ball to Giroud, who maybe got the tips of his hair to it, but misses it just slightly. He slides back and actually slams his back against the post, which was not nice to see, but love to see the drive from Callum and the drive from Giroud to try to get onto it. And we go in nil-nil at the first half. Imagine Hudson-Odoi assisting Chelsea's goal. <laughs> 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 uh, no, but you're right. A, a good dive from Giroud. And maybe if he hadn't trimmed his hair after the <laughs> Atletico Madrid game, that goes in. But jokes aside, I think nil-nil at the first half uh, seemed like the right result. Yeah, so we come into the second half. Callum goes off what looks to be like a slight injury on the knee. He was icing his knee, so we're hopeful it's not too serious. Reese James comes on, and obviously a nice name to have come on. He's wonderful attacking and a wonderful cross as well. In fact, he had amazing crosses that second half. Hakim starts that second half off intensely with a wonderful cutback from Ben Chilwell, hits it right at... David De Gea, and I'm hopeful, screaming at the television at this point that we can score, but wonderful save again. But really from there, Manchester United seemed to be the better side from 45th to about the 60th minute. They had more energy, more drive. They seem to have come out re-energized to start this half. But really after the 60th minute, Rahul, they seemed to slow down. And I want to talk about something here, which we covered in our previous podcast, but maybe not in depth. And that is they went into the midweek game, which was I believe was Thursday night, and they went into that game against Real Sociedad with a 4 nail lead in the first leg. So you would imagine that game is done and dusted, but Solskjaer still decided to play Bruno Fernandes, who seems to be their talisman. He seemed to play Marcus Rashford and some other names that are, for lack of a better term, their best 11. And do you think that kind of lowered their energy and their sharpness for that game? 
for the for the Chelsea game, I mean. I'm sure it did towards the latter half of the second half. I'm sure that affected them. And a lot of football has been played, you know, recently, even not just the Real Sociedad game. I mean, since the turn of the year, it's been midweek weekend, midweek weekend. And so that definitely contributes to, you know, the the end of this game and other games where kind of teams tend to tire out and the teams that have a lead are holding on to leads and kind of seeing them through. So I think you're right. It's, it's affecting Manchester United. It's affecting a lot of other teams and uh, maybe some of the injuries that we mentioned at the top of the episode for Manchester United forced Solskjaer in that Sociedad game as well. True. I can imagine that Paul Pogba would have been a big help to them for this particular game, especially from midfield. If you've got somebody like Bruno tiring out or whatnot, or Mata even would have loved to see him come play against us, not necessarily score against us, but always good to see an old face. Now around the 70th minute, Pulisic comes on for Giroud. So the baby faced Giroud with his beard coming on exciting, always to see him because he's got that pace power around the 75th minute. Timo Werner came in for Hakim Ziyech. And ice-cold Anthony Martial came on for Manchester United as well. Now, all good and done for Manchester United. I want to talk to you about the false nine. Because when we take off Giroud and we play with, I don't know who up top because it's a false nine, we seem to be in sixes and sevens. And what I mean by that is we seem to be lost. Between Mount, Werner, and Pulisic at one point, they were all hugging the left wing, trying to figure out who's going to get the ball. And then I looked to the middle and there was nobody. So I know at many other clubs, let's talk about Manchester City here with no striker for half the season, have really perfected the false nine. And I wonder if that's the future of football or it's the modern style or make doing with the type of players we have. But we seem to be completely lost. And I'm wondering how you feel about it. I mean, I'm old school in the sense that I'd like a center forward. I like a point of where you have your attack come to fruition in terms of goals. So I'm not a big fan of the false nine. I know it works for Barcelona. It's worked for Man City most recently, uh, but it's never really worked for Chelsea. And I think that's because Chelsea traditionally and recently rely on a center forward. Diego Costa, Didier Drogba, back, back in the day, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, Torande Flo. So if we take Giroud off and we're bringing Pulisic on, we're basically telling Manchester United, you know what? we got about 20, 25 minutes left here. We can try to nick a goal, but we're okay with the nil-nil. True. And, you know, to some degree, even if we bring Pulisic on or, or Werner, who people have debated for a long time about his best position, I almost wonder if tactically, and I made this comment about Tuchel making too many changes and not knowing what his best front three are. Tactically, why not have one of them, whether it's Werner or Pulisic, say, stay central, occupy that middle. You can drop deep. Absolutely, you can drop deep. But when you see somebody, quote unquote, float, which was happening with those three and they all floated to the left at one point, we lose a lot of momentum where they start looking around and no one's making the run. Or if someone's making the run, it's a Reese James who isn't always the most clinical in the final third. So it's something interesting. And I don't want to use this word, but I will. It's something worrisome because in Tuchel's games, we have been, I hesitate to say this word, but world-class defensively, but 
kind of poor in in what he calls the final 20 meters as he said many times and how do you think we fix that that's that's a great question and for Tuchel right <laughs> <laughs> if I had the answer I wouldn't wouldn't be here um but you're right I think defensively we've been solid and that's been a fix that we needed let's be honest and he's done it in in a month so he's got to get credit for that but I said this the other day, I forget whether it was on this podcast or when we spoke to one of the Manchester United channels on uh, YouTube, it almost just, the system almost just requires individual brilliance, which Tuchel had with Neymar and Mbappe, but doesn't here. It requires a wonder goal, which we saw from Giroud. It requires maybe a penalty, which Timo Werner has been winning for us recently. But apart from that, we... Or another wonder goal from Alonso in, in that Burnley game. But apart from that, we're not really creating guilt-edge chances that, re- okay, that striker just messed up. Right. It's very, like I've been saying, side to side. And that's okay. But when you put that cross in, you've got to find your players. I mean, you've got the best attacking, you know, in terms of with his head, Giroud, in the box. And we're just not finding him, which is frustrating. I don't have the stats in front of me, but if anybody's listening or Rahul, if you ever get a chance to look through this, I saw Werner making runs that entire time he came on, Pulisic making runs, Giroud, even though he's not the fastest, making runs, Hakim Ziyech making runs, Mounts making runs, and our midfield and defense just don't seem to notice them. Now, I'm going to roll it back a little bit to David Luiz, where he would put his head up from central defense when we played the three and knock a long ball out to a Victor Moses, for example, to really clear half the field. And what I mean by that is you get over that low block or a bunch of mess of players in the middle, and no one seems to do that. They seem to ignore it. So we're playing this 3-4-2-1 or 3-4-3, whatever you want to call it. And has it made us better defensively? Yes, but we've got three central defenses on the field. We call them wingbacks, but they are defensive in nature because they are defending. And then... The two that we have in midfield are also decently defensive in Kante and Kovacic. So you're really having the three up front rely on doing everything by themselves. And I think it's becoming a struggle. Now, did we need to make a change to this formation to stabilize ship and stop leaking goals? Yes. Now, I want to get your opinion here, nothing else. Do you think we need to change formation to maybe reap the rewards of all the attacking talent that we have sitting on the bench? I think so, and I was hoping maybe in the last 10 minutes of this game against Manchester United, he just went for it. He said, you know what, if we if we lose this 1-0, we lose it, but let's just go for it, and we could maybe win it 1-0 or 2-0, and we give our attacking players some confidence. Now, I know that's just a fan in me, and if I was a manager, I would have maybe also just played it a little bit safe and said, hmm, a point against Manchester United within the first month of my career here? Not bad. But I just wish sometimes he says, I'm going to let you go a little bit attacking guys and midfielders. Go get this goal and then we defend. Yeah, I feel like we went safe towards the end and we left points on the table. And that's always a concern. Look at us arguing here about leaving points on the table. We were 10th a month ago. We're much better off than we end because than we were a month ago because if you're not leaking goals, you're drawing and nicking the odd goal, you're going to move forward. But it's not what we expected, right? We wanted to see something a little more aggressive and 
Let me go over the stats over here because maybe it's not telling full justice. We had 18 shots to 11 against Manchester United, but only six on target versus Man United's four on target. So it's not like we were that clinical. We had a bit more possession than them, but not like we usually have was 58 to 42. We put together a lot of passes, 608 towards their 445. But again, like you said, what does it matter if it's side to side, side to side? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really mean much. And, and that's something where I heard one of the NBC commentators, I think it was Arlo White maybe, say Chelsea hired Maurizio Sarri three years ago now to bring this brand of football. And here we are three years later in a merry-go-round of managers and we're playing side-to-side football again. It's a little bit disheartening to hear. Again, if we were here a month ago and, and we were with Frank and we got a draw against Man United and we're going in this direction, we would take it. But when we make a change this drastic, you hope to see big results and quick results. Now, am I criticizing Tuchel? To some degree, yes, but not throwing him under the bus just yet. It's just one of those things where I think it was more frustrating because I think we put we left points on the table. We definitely did, but also I think we'd spoken about this with the um, with Kasim from the Red Flex, who had mentioned that Tuchel had said something about losing to Solskjaer at home in the past. Uh, so that may have been weighing on his mind and avoiding that defeat and bringing that run to an end. Now again, it was with different teams, but you know, same managers. And maybe he thought, you know what, I'll just take this draw here and we move on to the next game. And a point here at the end of the season may come come in handy. So well, time will tell. But I think as fans, we thought United were there for the taking with their injuries, uh, with playing Thursday night. Uh, and we just didn't see what we wanted to see from our team, which was let's just go for it a little bit and, and try to win this. Two more questions for you before we wrap up the Man United review. The draw, who is it a better better result for? Is it a better result for Manchester United or is it a better result for Chelsea? And the second question I have for you, which is how we always end our segments, is who was your man of the match? 100% a better result for Manchester United. They, They stay six points clear of us. They go clear of Leicester City a little bit. Uh, they're never going to win the title. So I think, you know, even if they lost ground to Manchester City, I think everyone below them, they did better against West Ham lost, Leicester City lost, they they tied to Chelsea. Uh, So definitely for Manchester United. And man of the match, I'm going to go back to my original uh, guy, which was Mendy. Okay. And I know he was a little bit shaky. We mentioned he could have, caught the ball or tipped it out for their free kick. But he did make a good save against McTominay. And I've seen that save a couple of times, and he had no idea where that ball was coming from, and he saved it. Uh, And he's kept a clean sheet again. Now, you can talk about all the other issues he has with playing with his feet, but clean sheets are what make a goalkeeper, and he's getting them. I agree with you about the clean sheets. I'm going to disagree with you about him being man of the match. I thought he was quite shaky, not just a little bit shaky. There are a few things that are trending towards he's he's losing a little bit of confidence, maybe not because he's keeping clean sheets. Obviously, that helps. But in himself on how he punches the ball versus catches the ball or how he plays it out versus clearing it. Um, a little bit worried about that. We'll see what happens with Kepa in the near future. But for me... 
one man that got a lot of hate when Tuchel came back in and he was reinstated was Tony Rudiger. I honestly think he did not put a foot wrong today. He actually made amazing runs forward like he was Lionel Messi in his prime trying to drive and find space, which I'm always excited by. I get a little bit nervous when one of our center backs go marauding forward, but I think he was trying to find the space. So for me, Tony Rudiger, I thought he was excellent and I hope he continues this good form. That's a good shot and he's been good recently. Even when he scored that own goal against Sheffield United, uh, he made up for it by being defensively solid for the rest of the game. So that's a good shot and I think deserved praise for him. He's had a tough time since Lampard left, but I hope fans realize what he brings uh, and he may have a mistake in him, but every player does. So um, that that's that's a good shout. And before we wrap up this review, there's a couple of stats that I wanted to share with our listeners and with you. So this is the second nil-nil draw for Chelsea Manchester United in the same season. Uh, and the last time these two teams played out a nil-nil twice in a season was in 1921 and 22. Wow, we're going back into the archives here, huh? We are. And on Chelsea's side, Thomas Tuchel becomes just the second manager to see his team keep a clean sheet in his four first four home games in the Premier League. The only other person to do so is Brendan Rodgers. Wow. <laughs> That's some good stats right there, my friend. Yes, sir. So I think that wraps it up, right, Jackie? Yeah, so we do have a couple more games to review. But before that, I want to talk to you about one more item, which was Timo Werner. Now, he didn't play too much in this game, but there was an interview that came out on Sky Sports. I think it was yesterday or the day before, something like that, where Timo was very humble, very open about his struggles. You know, he did start off well in his Chelsea career, scoring goals and assists and performing well. And then it obviously dipped. We've talked quite a bit about Timo Werner and it was very nice to see how humble he was thinking that he was going to come to the Premier League and light it ablaze. But there were lads here that are seven foot tall and three times his size and bullying him and a lot of football. But one thing that struck me, which I will think is a sign of his character was he said, if I was in better form or if I scored five, six, seven more goals and we had three or four wins, maybe the old manager would still be here today. Now, I don't think that's a jab at all at Thomas Tuchel because he's played considerably under Thomas Tuchel. I think it's a sign of who he is as a man, just having that guilt weigh on him. And that's why I want to talk to you about this is I hope that he allows that to go because it wasn't just one player that did not perform under Frank, specifically in this case, Warner. There were a whole host of others that could have contributed to scoring and whatnot, but definitely a humble fella and definitely somebody who's thinking about Frank and the relationship they had as he brought him to Chelsea. Absolutely. And we've said that about him. He's he, he's humbled. He even said after the Sheffield United game, when they asked him about the, why didn't you take the penalty? He said, I need to do better outside of, you know, winning penalties. And then I can think about get, taking a penalty and scoring goals. So he's a humble guy and shows you that he's aware of, you know, the situation with Lampard and what that meant to the club, to the fans. And saying that shows you that he's aware and cares, not just here to, you know, stat up his career or or make money and move on to the next thing. So I personally think, and I've said it a few times, he will come good. We've just got to give him some time. Yeah, it makes me love him more as a player and as a man. So I'm hopeful that 
not that this season he can't do more, but next season with a full preseason and one year of Premier League football under his belt, belt, he can really turn into a top-class striker that we've been looking for. But anyway, there's some other fixtures we want to talk about. Why don't you take us through them? Yeah, so the rest of the Premier League also played this weekend. Uh, Chelsea, Manchester United being the big one, but no goals. Uh, let's move on to Manchester City, West Ham. And that was going to be a tough one for Manchester City. And I personally thought they may drop points, but they did it. And they now go 20 games unbeaten in all competitions after that 2-1 win. The well-oiled machine just seems to chug along. But in all fairness, I must be honest, West Ham made it extremely, extremely difficult for Manchester City. Now, did I get to watch the entire game? No, my mind was solely focused on the Chelsea game today. But in reviewing the game and watching the after-game interviews, everybody said that. David Moyes has built something really, really exciting here. And a team that really, I think I've said this before, they really fight for each other in that they never give up. It shows that in the goals that were scored, the game finished 2-1. Both the goals were scored by Manchester City's center backs. So a couple of things. I think West Ham did a good job at holding... Manchester City's strike force away but on the flip side of this coin I've said this many 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 times when defenders chip in it is really something that's helpful to take pressure off the forwards that they don't have to score in this particular game and one last thing I'll say about this game in Manchester City conceding this I think they have now conceded 16 goals in the Premier League for the season if I'm not mistaken which means they will not be beating Chelsea's record in 2004-2005, where we conceded 15 goals all season long. I don't think that's ever going to be broken. That's just a ridiculous stat. I mean, 38 games and you only concede 15? Wow. But you're yeah. right. The On the point of the defenders scoring goals, that's something we've lacked for a few months. Even under Lampard, towards the end, we were lacking right. the goals from the defenders when the attacking guys were struggling and I actually thought about this the other day when Zuma played. I was like, all right, he's back. And he's, I think, our highest goal-scoring defender. He is, yeah. He is. And he's not contributed. And we're seeing that, you know, without his contributions in the scoring side and the attacking players not firing, we are missing that, you know, that little bit extra. Yeah, so it's definitely something. But again, we need to be highly praising towards Manchester City, I think, They've hit form and they've hit tactics and Pep Guardiola is managing them really well with his squad rotations and things like that. So I think you said this, I've said this, everybody else who's talked about Manchester said this. If they lose this Premier League, it's really down to them. I don't think there's any other way they can drop that many points to lose the Premier League, but I agree. We'll wait and watch. Yeah. The next game, and this was a shocker because Leicester played Arsenal and with the way things have been going, you would have thought Leicester nick it or at least win 2-1 or something but Arsenal win 3-1 and our old boys David Luiz and William uh, collaborated for the first Arsenal goal (laughs) honestly I can't believe this one not because we've been unfair to Arsenal but Leicester have been brilliant they really have been brilliant this season so to see them lose 3-1 to Arsenal is kind of a shocker and Talking about leaving points on the table, Leicester didn't get the draw and they fall further behind Manchester United. Now, yes, you're still in a Champions League place, but obviously the higher you are in the Premier League, the higher you get seeded and things like that. So 
I was honestly very, very surprised. And I think they actually had an injury in this game too, right? Yeah, so they came into the game with Madison out. And now they've lost Harvey Barnes, who apparently is out for, I think, three months. Jeez, that's unfortunate, yeah. So very unfortunate timing for these injuries. And those two, between Madison and Barnes and Vardy, those are their three main goal scorers. So other players will have to step up and step up quick because they now only sit uh, five points clear of uh, Chelsea in fifth and six of Leicester, uh, Liverpool in six. So that gap shrinking that they had. Yeah, quite unfortunate because we were talking about the England lineups the other day. So when the English players are getting injured, a little bit disappointing for them. I, I wish him well because Harvey Barnes seems to be a real talent for years to come. Absolutely. And credit to Arsenal. They are up and down like a yo-yo, but hey, they pull out a result against a top team. Yeah, good for them. On the other side of North London in Tottenham and Jose Mourinho have been having a tough time, but they played Burnley and, you know, we thought it might be a tough game, a tight game, but they come up flying <laughs> with Garrett Bale within 68 seconds gets a goal and they go on to win 4-0. Yeah, so Gareth Bale scored two goals in this game and an assist. Is this the return of Gareth Bale? It's a little bit late, but better late than never, right? Six months later, but yes. <laughs> no, I, honestly, I, I like Gareth Bale. There's a lot of hate towards him because he's gone through the phase where he'd rather sit than train hard per Real Madrid, by the way. This is not coming from Gareth Bale. Or he'd rather go swing a golf club and, and have fun on doing that rather than train hard. Again, a lot of rumors coming from the news. But this is the Gareth Bale that we know exists somewhere where he can perform and put in a performance. So I hope he continues this way because I like seeing this Gareth Bale. It's it's exciting. But on the flip side, disappointing for Burnley. I think they're getting dragged a little bit deeper and deeper into the relegation battle. It's going to get very interesting at the bottom of the table, Rahul. It absolutely is. I mean, I think that's a good segue for our next uh, game. So... Before we do that game, let's just talk about Sheffield-Liverpool real quick. 2-0 win for Liverpool expected. Uh, Sheffield done and dusted, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed with you. There's no way they're coming back from that. And so the game we wanted to talk about, not just for the relegation scrap, but another bar controversy is the West Brom versus Brighton game, which ended 1-0 to West Brom. I already had my VAR rant, and I finally calmed down, and now you have to bring this one back up again. This, honestly, a better word for it was atrocious. It really was atrocious in how things happened. Now, let's put a few things aside. West Brom scored first. Brighton had a penalty, which they missed. I think they actually had a second one, which they missed. But all that aside, that's in-game play. There was a free kick awarded for Brighton on the edge of the penalty box. Lewis Dunk steps up to take this free kick. Now, this is very similar to what we talked about with Manchester United in things are being said and we don't know what's true and what's not true. However, we can see from the video that Lewis Dunk is or appears to be conversing with the referee. Now, Lewis Dunk said he asked the referee, can I take this free kick quickly? We see or we appear to see, I need to be careful here, that the referee nods his head or appears to agree with him. Lewis Dunk starts walking towards the ball. Referee puts the whistle to his lips. And as Lewis Dunk strikes the ball, the whistle is blown. 
the ball is heading towards the net. And mind you, it's a pretty open net at this point because the goalkeeper is still, quote unquote, adjusting his wall. And the referee seems, or we hear him blow the whistle for the second time right before the ball crosses the line. I don't know what the referee was thinking. That alone in itself is enough confusion. But he awards the goal, pauses for a minute under immense pressure from both sides, and then removes his award of the goal, gets VAR in his ear, and they say, you blew the whistle right before the ball crossed the line, so it's not going to be awarded. We can't make this stuff up, Rahul. I don't know what's going on. This is the English Premier League. You and I sit here and preach about it being the best league in the world, some of the highest paid players, some of the best talent. How is this happening in the Premier League? Best league in the world with the worst referees Absolutely. in the world. Yep, no other way to say that. Yep. And that's shame on FA, shame on PGMOL, shame on the refereeing uh, board that are putting out referees that aren't up to the standards. Let's just be honest. And I, you explained that whole situation perfectly. I mean, if you're going to allow the player to take it early, stick to that decision. Stand up and say it. Yes, exactly. Yes, And then don't just defer it to VAR and let them decide and then blame it on them. I mean, it's totally ridiculous. Yeah, this this was atrocious refereeing, atrocious management of how VAR is being done. And if there was ever a time to look at it, this this particular incident is the time to look at it. Something needs to change. Now, if one of you VAR referees or somebody from the FA is listening, we're not just here as two fans irritated. We don't support West Brom or Brighton. We don't have a say in if they survive or not. But there's a lot of money in staying up in the Premier League and you're affecting what could have been Brighton's draw, for example. Definitely. And it goes back to something that you were talking about and Lewis Dunk said it too, is players come out and talk to the camera. Managers come out and talk to the camera. The group that doesn't is the referees and they hide behind the PG uh, MOL. They hide behind the FA and they go home fine and they don't have to explain their actions and they come back and get a game again the next week. Yeah, absolutely atrocious. I don't want to continue on this. It's just making me upset. So let's, with this game, let's just touch on the relegation scrap. So Brighton have now lost back-to-back games and sit in 16th with 26 points. Newcastle in 17th with 26 points. Fulham in 18th with 23. West Brom in 19th with 17. And as we said, Sheffield United, who seem to and most likely will go down, sit in 20th with 11 points. Yeah, I don't... Uh, it's still early days, but I don't know if West Brom can make it out, to be very honest with you. But Fulham have a real good opportunity here to drag in Newcastle, Brighton, and even now Burnley into this relegation scrap. So if Fulham pull together a couple of wins here, they could be home and dry by probably the end of, of March, is, is my guess. Wow, that's a that's a big shot for Fulham. Yeah, honestly. Um and I mean, I'm looking at the table right now and Southampton, who's set in 14, albeit have played a game less. If they lose that, we're talking about a Southampton team that was third, fourth, right, a couple of months ago. And now they're sitting a few spots away from relegation. That's just crazy. And that's peak Premier League. <laughs> you can't make this up. You can't write this. You can't script this. This is honestly, it's, it's incredible to watch and it's incredible to see how things are panning out. Absolutely. So with that being said, that wraps up the weekend round of fixtures. 
But there is another round of fixtures right around the corner, and it starts uh, on Tuesday. And the big game again involves us, Chelsea, and it's Liverpool versus Chelsea at Anfield. So for Chelsea, it's, and for Tuchel specifically, it's been a good test with Atletico Madrid, Manchester United, and Liverpool. And I think, and this is with all respect to everybody, I think this is probably going to be our biggest test. Not necessarily because Liverpool are a better side than United or Atletico, but I think it's because of the number of games in a row with the high-quality teams that we're playing. It's a real test on our defense and Tuchel's tactics and his rotation on how he's going to manage this. But Oh, it's one that I want you to start off with, Rahul. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's the student in Tuchel versus the professor, the teacher in Klopp. Uh, as we've said numerous times, Tuchel took over from Klopp at Dortmund. Um, and so this will be a fun and exciting meeting between the two of them. And hopefully the game lives up to the billing and not just another nil-nil in a top six clash. But looking at the last five games for Liverpool... So as we mentioned, they just won against Sheffield United, but they lost against Everton before that, lost against Leicester, lost against City, and lost against Brighton. So they've had a rough time since the start of 2021 and haven't won at Anfield since January 21st after going 68 games unbeaten. This is making me more and more nervous because you did a similar review like this with regards to Arsenal where they were in bad form and we came over there and uh, you know how that went after that. Don't remind me, I almost quit this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I mean, Liverpool are hurting and I don't mean that about their injuries. I mean, they're hurting from the most, the the recent results and you can tell that Klopp's going to get these guys up for it. And what other way to put an end to a horrific uh, run of games and, and results at, at home than by beating one of the top teams. So I am nervous. And on the other side for us, I mean, we've drawn the last two United and Southampton. We won against Newcastle, won against Sheffield and won against Spurs. Uh, so as we've said, we're not conceding a lot. So that gives me a little bit of hope, but if we don't take our chances and create enough on the other side, we're always going to be open to a, uh, a blinder from Mohamed Salah or Mane or Firmino or Thiago who have been uh, bantering all season long. So <laughs> anything can happen and it's going to be an, a tactical game for sure. Yeah, and I want to touch on one thing you said, which is Liverpool are hurting on recent results, but I also think they are hurting on injuries. They have probably been, in my opinion, the most unlucky team when it comes to injuries. You're talking about no center backs, at least their first choice, because I think Matip is out. We know Van Dijk is out. Joe Gomez is out. They were playing Henderson at center back. He's out. It's getting ridiculous. They signed another center back from the championship side. I forget his name, so I'm not going to repeat it. He was injured within 10 minutes of coming on for his debut. So now they're sitting with one of their junior players from the youth squad. And then I believe the guy's name is Obak, maybe? Obak, yeah. Obak. And so you've got your youth player, and somebody who's not necessarily used to the Premier League. On paper, Rahul, our front three who's been misfiring should be able to do something here. But you never know. And I, and I, I do want to touch on one more thing for Liverpool, and I'm not trying to make excuses for Liverpool here, but Jurgen Klopp lost his mom recently to COVID. 
And due to some rules in Europe, he was not able to go to the funeral, which is quite heartbreaking. And before we could even stomach that news, Allison, the goalkeeper for Liverpool, his father passed away in a drowning incident. And again, with travel restrictions, he cannot go to the funeral. So it's, it's injuries compounded with bad form, compounded with heartbreak. And how they keep going and how they're continuing, which, which they just got their most recent win. Yes, it's against Sheffield, but I give them credit there, to be honest with you. Absolutely. And these moments bring you together as a team. Uh, you know, winning obviously does that, but these tough moments, these tough runs bring you together. And uh, like you said, for with uh, Klopp and Allison, these heartbreaking moments uh, when you almost don't want to be doing anything, but you have to go out every three or four games and, right. and be in front of the camera and perform uh, is tough. And when your top goalkeeper isn't performing, it affects the rest of the side that's decimated by injuries. Your manager isn't to his 100%. But that's almost, I mean, I, I don't want to sound insensitive, but I think that's almost uh, a way for things to reset at a club. Right. And we've seen that at Chelsea. I mean, we went two seasons, you know, flying under Mourinho. And then the third season, we had injuries, check out, Terry out. Uh, you know, Essien ended up playing center back, right back. Uh, so these things happen, but they bring you to bring you closer. And I think, again, this game comes at a good point for Liverpool, which is, guys, we've lost four games in a row. Let's end this run at home. Let's win it for Allison. Let's win it for Klopp. And as teammates, what better motivation do you need than to bring a smile to Allison's face? That's a great segue into what happened today. Curtis Jones, the young Merseyside lad himself, scored a goal today. I don't know if you saw his interview. And afterwards, he actually dedicated this, this goal that he scored to Allison. And that, to me, is extremely touching because if whether he saw it or not, I'm sure somebody was in his ear saying, hey, the young lad scored a goal today and just wants to wish you all the best, which it's definitely something that's going to be motivating, not just Allison when he comes back, but the rest of the squad, when a young man can step up and say something like that, it means... We're here together. We're going to perform no matter what. Definitely. And that's team spirit. You know, whether you're coming from the under 21s, under 23s, you're in the first team bubble, in the first team squad, and you hurt as much as your uh, goalkeeper or another player that's, you know, suffering from uh, heartbreaking news. But so, I mean, that's the analysis on Liverpool and they're a top side with the top manager and, um, I don't think we won at Anfield in a long, long time. But the last one I can think of was against them in the Carabao Cup, which Hazard pulls off a blinder <laughs> that scoring that goal. Uh, so it's been a while. And honestly, if you ask me now, I'd be happy with the draw going into this game just because of the way things have been going for them. But do you think Liverpool, after today's game against Sheffield, are going to turn the corner, uh, come into this game and say... This is where this ends. We use this moment to push on. If ever the stars were aligned for them to turn the corner, I think this would be it, to be very frank with you. It's something where what worse can happen to Liverpool? And I don't mean that to jinx them with the, you know, the fatalities in the squad's family, with the form that they've lost, with the injuries that they've had. It can't get much worse, can it? And I'm not trying to jinx them, like I said. So, I think, yes, I think this is the time that they're going to turn corner. I think they needed a win like this just to bring their confidence up, especially when you got young players scoring. It happened to Arsenal. If we look back when players like Saka stepped up and 
produced for them. So it just adds fuel to my fire of me being nervous about this particular game. I'm nervous too. And uh, is it a must win game for either side or do you think a draw or, you know, a nil nil like we've seen like today is okay? I think it's a six pointer role. I think this one is big because if you look at the Premier League table, Chelsea and fifth, and maybe we're a little bit excited. We just talked about us being 10th a month ago, but we're sitting in fifth, Liverpool sitting in sixth, which if you had told me this, like where were we three months ago at Liverpool were top of the league, I would have never believed that this would ever be a situation, but it is the reality of where we are today. We're one point away from them. It's a six pointer. If we win this one, we open up three points over them. They go back down into losing this turn from the corner. But if they win that, it's just, it's just adding to what I'm saying about Chelsea is this is probably their biggest test. And it, I don't think by any means this would demoralize us. We have Champions League to jump back into and perform against Atletico Madrid from a wonderful first leg. But it is definitely a six-pointer. I agree with you. I think we need to come out in this game and, and try to take the game to them from the beginning. I mean, yes, we're saying they're hurting and they want to win it for each other and get out of this rut. But if we're coming into this as a team, we want to start off on the front foot and inflict, you know, a, for a goal or two and have them doubt themselves and be like, is this going to be a fifth loss for us? Is this going to be another one of those games where, you know, we can't even get started before we're out of it. And I really hope we do that because the longer it goes, the more chance there is that they nick it or Salah does something or Mane does something. And then we are whole, we're looking at ourselves and saying, could we have done this? Could we have done that? And, uh, you know, that, that's my concern. But hopefully we can. And let's talk about who you think plays for us. So who starts? I know I've been a little bit critical of Mendy, but I think he's going to continue in goal. Maybe Kepa will get a cup run. I'm, I'm not sure. At the back, Aspilicueta and Rudiger have been very, very strong overall. If Thiago Silva is fit and fit enough, I know Christensen has performed well, all credit to the lad, but I think Thiago brings his experience and his calmness to the back. So I think he would play, especially if he's fit, if not Christensen. Now for the four that we play in midfield, I think Alonso is going to come back in. Something about him and Tuchel, they have a good relationship where he prefers him. The middle of Kante and Kovacic, I think as Kante is fit, Tuchel's always going to pick him. And then for the right wing back, I think he's going to go with Reese James just to be a little more defensive as opposed to Callum, who's more attacking wise. And maybe Callum will come on later on, or maybe Callum's injured. I don't know. And it may not make the next game. The front three is where we've struggled to see a consistent front three. I'd like us to see a consistent front three going forward so we can form some sort of relationship between them. But on form, I think Mount, Werner and Giroud. Strong lineup and players in form, players that have played a lot of football, maybe outside of Thiago Silva, who hasn't played in about a month. But definitely a strong lineup. And we should play Werner and Giroud, in my opinion, like you've said. Because if Liverpool are going to play Kabak and a younger defender, these guys have the knowledge and the experience of you know finding space and, and exploiting some of the weaknesses that Liverpool have had in their defense. So... Absolutely, and what a game for Werner to play and hopefully score to oh, yeah. show to show you know Liverpool that they should have dished out that extra <laughs> 10, 15 million for him. You know what? And even though he's on the upturn with his confidence, I think scoring against the Liverpool side, albeit 
limited on their qualities in the defense, I think will help his confidence even more. Long story short, you're playing against Liverpool. You want to bring yourself up. Yeah, everyone should raise their game and I hope uh, we win it. So Jackie, what's your score prediction? I was so nervous for this game, Rahul. I honestly thought we were going to lose 1-0. My heart keeps telling me that we need to be very, very cautious and we might lose this 1-0. Mohamed Salah, even though Liverpool are struggling, is a quality, quality player. We need to talk about how you pinched him in fantasy, but that's a different story there. But the more we analyze it, the more we talk about this, I think we can get a 1-1 draw. I would love for us to win this game, but to be very frank with you, if we got a 1-1 draw, I'd be happy. Yeah, I'm I'm concerned too, and I, I'm concerned because, like I said, it's either a penalty or a wonder goal or just something crazy that gets us the goal and then we defend it. Um, so I think a nil-nil, and it's going to be an exciting one because, you know, both teams can attack and uh, Liverpool have defensive issues, like we've said, so I'm not going to go back into that. But I think nil-nil, and as the game goes on, if it's just nil-nil, I think both managers will be happy to to see it out. So hope I'm wrong and we win it, but I'll be okay with that scoreline. Yeah, agreed. So that's one of the few games in, in midweek. Just quick score predictions from you, Jackie, on some of the other ones. So Man City Wolves, I think they can only be one winner. But who do you think and what's the scoreline? I have quite a few Manchester City players in my <laughs> fantasy Premier League. So I love Wolves. I really think they stand for something great. And Nuno Espirito Santos has built something good there. But I want Manchester City to win 3-0. Wow. Yeah. And I also have some Manchester City players that didn't <laughs> play on the weekend. So I'm hoping Cancelo and Sterling come back in right. and get me some points. So I'm going to go for a 2-0 to Manchester okay. City. The next game we'll talk about is Burnley versus Leicester. And this is an interesting one because Burnley, as you know, uh, will make it difficult and are, like we said, towards the wrong end of the table. Uh, but Leicester, on the other hand, have injuries, have lost their last game against Arsenal, their Europa League game against Slavia Prague. So they're in a little bit of shaky form. So what do you think happens? Who's home for that game? Burnley. Do you know what? Talk about this is a must win for everybody. I think it's a must win for both teams, to be very honest with you. But I also want it to be a Burnley win so that Chelsea have an opportunity. Now, whether we take it or not is completely on us, but one nail to Burnley. And if that happens, Jackie, Leicester would still be on 49 points. And if we pull out a win, we'd go to 47. And now we'd be sitting in fourth because West Ham don't play this in midweek. Two points behind Leicester City. Yeah, we would have never imagined this, like I said, a month ago. And mentally, we are... I think we said this early in the season, Rahul. If you're five points behind somebody or one point behind somebody, it doesn't really matter. But we're now 26 games in. After midweek, we will be left with 11 games for the season. Mentally, it starts to weigh on you with the injuries Leicester are having. i rather sit in the third position towards the end of the Premier League rather than sitting in fifth and trying to scrape into fourth, if you know what I mean. So one nil to Burnley for me. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to go for a, a one nil to Burnley as well. I think uh, they're tight and they can nick a goal and Leicester who, like I said, with all their issues uh, and they may start doubting themselves too, based on what happened last season. So that could mentally play a factor in them as well. So we'll watch how that goes. The other one I want to talk about real quick is Crystal Palace versus Manchester United. Crystal Palace seem to have lost 
quite a bit of form lately, to be honest with you. I think Manchester United played it safe for this particular game. I think Manchester United are going to win this one easily. I think it's going to be 2-0. I agree. Crystal Palace and Zaha left have been uh, dropping points, although they did beat Brighton with some crazy goals. I'm not sure if you saw them. I did but not know. Benteke is back in the, in, in the goals, so uh, he may fancy getting one against Manchester United, but with their quality and their form away from home, Manchester United should be favored. So I'll go for a 2-1. Okay. Uh, the other games here are West Brom versus Everton. Um, Big Sam plays Carlo Ancelotti, and I think Everton should win this on paper. But every time you say that about Everton, they go and drop points. So I don't even know how to predict this one. (laughs) Yeah, it's a tough one. West Brom just won this controversial game, but I'm sure it'll do them a world of good. Like I said, I don't know if they're going to survive, but they're definitely going to give it a try. Maybe 1-1. Without Dominic Calvin-Lewin lately, Everton have struggled for goals up front as well. I do have Josh King in my fantasy Premier League, so maybe he can pitch that one goal there. I think DCL is back, so I I don't know about Josh King, but you never know. Um, (laughs) I think 2-1 to Everton, but like I said, they have the the potential to go down 1-0 to West Brom too. And the last one is Fulham versus Tottenham. If you had asked me this like two weeks ago, I would be all for Fulham, but coming off a 4-0 win, Tottenham might be up and, and ready for the challenge. Tough one for me to predict, but maybe 1-0 to Tottenham. Yeah, tough one for sure. And Fulham at home, I believe. Let me just double-check that. Yes, they're at home. And they've made it difficult against Liverpool, against Chelsea, against Manchester United. Uh, So Tottenham will find it tough. But with an incoming into form, Gareth Bale, with Harry Kane and Son, Deli Ali started to feature more. I think Mourinho is settling his issues with some of these guys that were out of the squad. And they're well-rested in the Deli Ali and a Bale. So I think they win it 2-1. Yeah, and they need Europa League football. They're not too far away from it, especially if you talk about players like, I mean, sorry, teams like Everton maybe potentially losing. It's definitely an opportunity for them to climb the table. Absolutely. Even though Mourinho has said Europa League is his focus for to get into the Champions League, I'm sure he's not going to give up on the Premier League. So. Right. Uh, a busy round of fixtures, and if you play fantasy, I'm sure you've picked your players already for double game weeks, but Jackie and I face myself, uh, face each other, and right now, what is it, 35, 32, 31? 35, 31, yeah, it's very, very tight, and the second round of fixtures is going to be telling, to be very honest with you. Absolutely. Gungodan didn't really perform this past weekend, which I was happy about. Um, <laughs> Neither did Bruno, so we're waiting for that second round. Yes, so it should be fun. We'll keep an eye out for them. Uh, but for that, for now, that's it, guys. We've wrapped up episode 28. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, follow us, and please, please, please leave us a review if you can on Apple. Uh, we'll really appreciate it. Uh, and until then, please Continue to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. It's at the Premier Chels. And as always, send us your feedback. And we will be back later this week to do a Liverpool review and an Everton preview. It just doesn't end. Uh, but until then, stay safe and up the Chels. <laughs>